0: to say that when the kids are especially crazy, there must be a full moon. So does anyone know if it's going to be a full moon tonight? (laughs) No? Okay, well, I'm not sure. I think it would line up today. Maybe I'm just talking about my kids, but (laughs) it's great to be here this morning, and uh, it's great to be able to again have the opportunity to dive into God's Word together as we continue in our series on Joshua, the way in, and today we'll be focusing on Joshua chapter 5. Would you bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to dive into your word, to continue to study this amazing story from the book of Joshua of how you not only led the people out of Egypt, not only delivered them from captivity, but you directed them on the way into the promised land that there was a way into the abundant life in the promised land that you had given to abraham in the covenant so many years before and that you provided the way and so i pray father that as we look at these verses as we hear from your word i pray that you would speak through them to each one of us by the power of your holy spirit speak through me your servant i pray in jesus name amen Now, this past week, on June the 6th, 2019, it marked the 75th anniversary of the Allied Forces' invasion of mainland Europe, best known simply as D-Day. On that day of June the 6th, 1944, the fate of Europe, and indeed the free world, hung in the balance. Would the Allied Forces be able to gain a foothold on Hitler's Nazi-occupied France, Or would they be cut down and thrown back into the sea, as the Canadians had had happen to them in Dieppe in 1942? So much was hanging in the balance. Operation Overlord would be the single largest and most complex amphibious invasion in world history. And once it was launched, everyone knew once it was launched, there could be no turning back. It was full commitment There were so many troops and so many aspects in play that the moment the signal was given to commence, there was no retreat and no pulling back. There would only be two outcomes, either success leading to ultimate victory or a devastating defeat. Knowing this, just hours before the invasion was launched, the Supreme Allied Commander General Dwight D. Eisenhower relayed this final message to his troops. He said, Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hope and prayers of liberty loving people everywhere march with you. Your task will not be an easy one. The enemy is well trained, well equipped, and battle hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck. And let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. Now we all know what happened next. A tremendously costly Hard-fought battle ensued across multiple fronts for many days. And we know that at this tremendously high cost in lives, the Allied soldiers, including many thousands of Canadians, stormed the beaches. They fought inland and managed to gain a foothold. Of course, the war was still far from over, and the Nazis would tenaciously fight on for more than a year following that day. But a pivotal moment had been reached. With their feet firmly planted now on French soil, ultimate victory was at long last, after many years of war, within sight. And so this morning, as we turn now to Joshua chapter 5, we find parallels to Israel. We find here Israel, led by their supreme commander, Joshua, in a similar position. For after 40 years of defeat and wandering in the wilderness, they have finally finally invaded Canaan. Finally, they have stepped forward in faith to lay claim to their God-given inheritance of the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And make no mistake about this. For Israel, this was a full-fledged military operation. In Joshua chapter 4 verse 13, we read this description of their crossing of the Jordan River. Verse 13 of chapter 4 says, about 40,000 armed for battle, crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. So it's emphasized two different ways here, that the men are crossing, armed for battle, to the plains of Jericho for war. This is a military invasion. They're ready for a fight. And so Joshua and the fighting men under his command, they understand what's at stake. And like the allied soldiers, they know full well that the task before them Will not be an easy one. And so the first lesson I'd like to draw to your attention from our text this morning is this. For Israel, moving ahead required cutting off the path for retreat. Moving ahead required cutting off the path for retreat. In Joshua chapter 4, verses 17 to 18, we read this description Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. And so here we see that after the the armed crossing of the river and all of the people behind the armed 40,000 warriors in the front, now's the time to cut off their path for retreat. The priests holding the Ark of the Covenant were down in the middle of the riverbed, still dry. And Joshua says, boys, it's time to come up. And they come on up, and the river fills in behind them, back to flood stage. Flood stage, meaning back to almost a mile in width. No way back across. No possible way for retreat left. Going back to the wilderness or back to Egypt was simply no longer an option for Israel. They were standing on the soil of Canaan, the promised land, and there was no way back. They were all in. There is a strong parallel here to the Christian life. There comes a moment where every follower of Jesus Christ must decide whether or not they are all in with him. The moment that you decide that you are now finished with dabbling with the pleasures of Egypt or pining for them, the the moment you're, you're decided that you're done with wandering about in the wilderness of disobedience, that it's now time to step forward in faith, cross that Jordan River, and leave no way of retreat behind you. It's now only one way, and that's forward with the Lord. In the year 1519, Hernan Cortes set sail with his fleet of ships from Cuba to Veracruz. This mission to Mexico was a mission of conquest. However, upon their arrival, Cortes' men became weary and frightened, and they had hopes of turning back home to their old way of life rather than into the unknown of conquest in Mexico before them. And as legend has it, At this moment, realizing that his men were ready to turn tail and run, Cortez famously ordered his men to burn their ships. Burn their ships, their only way of retreat. He said, burn them. And so they did, destroying their ships and with it, their ability to retreat to their previous way of life. It left only but one option, and that was to press on with the conquest. Perhaps this describes you in some way today. Maybe in a spiritual sense, you're still not sure if you're ready to cut off all other options than the Lord's path for your life. But if you recognize that that's you in some way, the Lord Jesus wants you to decide once and for all if you're all in with him. In Luke chapter 9 verse 62, Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What he's saying here is if you're going to go his way, it's all the way. It's not looking back over our shoulder, pining for what we left behind. He says if you put your hand to the plow, keep your eyes on me and keep moving ahead. Cut off all other attachments to your old life. It's time to move forward. And my friends, let me just say, if you have already trusted Jesus as your Savior, the time for looking back over your shoulder is over. So let me just encourage you this morning. Go all in with the Lord. Leave no way of retreat behind you. Burn the ships. Let the Jordan River roll in back behind you. Don't worry about how you're going to get back across, because with the Lord, there will be no need for it. Because he has a path forward to victory for you. And so we must move forward following the Lord Jesus in faith. For my friends, he is the only path to victory. The second lesson I'd like to draw to your attention this morning from this text is this. Moving forward with the Lord, we must then fight the battles the Lord's way, not our own. We must fight the Lord's way, not our own. We turn now to Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1. We read the introductory description of their time there on the plains before Jericho. Verse 1 says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites." So in other words, Israel's D-Day was such a smashing success that all of the Canaanites were shaking in their sandals. They are all but ready to just hoist the white flags and surrender. They are so terrified of this God who goes before the Israelites. Now at this point, hearing this, any human general would think one thing, and that is, now is the time to seize the initiative. We must immediately press forward the attack on a demoralized enemy who's ready to surrender. In fact, I'm quite confident that Israel's 40,000 armed warriors were only thinking one thing that day, and that was attack. Attack, now is the time. But is that what the Lord was thinking? Well, let's read on. Verse 1 gives us this great introduction to it. Verse 2 We read this, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. What? Wait, did I hear you right, Lord? I I can only imagine what was going through Joshua's mind at this moment. He probably thought something like, hold on a second, Lord, I, I get the part about the knives, we need those for battle possibly, but the second part, did I hear you correctly? I mean, Lord, think about it. We're in hostile territory here. We have a heavily armed fortress of Jericho directly in front of us. Our backs are to the river. And you want us to put our entire army out of commission? Now, humanly speaking, this makes zero sense. Zero sense. I cannot imagine for a second General Eisenhower, you know, reading over these verses and going, you know what? That's a great tactic. Let's try that. No, he, he wouldn't. You don't deliberately injure your team the day before the championship game. You don't invade hostile territory and then intentionally make yourself vulnerable to counterattack. But whatever his internal misgivings may have been, it's clear that Joshua has already been persuaded, he already is convinced, he already believes 100% that no matter what, God's way is the only way. God's way is the best way. And even if it didn't make any sense to him, Joshua was going to obey what God told him to do. And verse 3 tells us, without a word of protest, Joshua goes ahead and does exactly what God had instructed him to do. As has been said, faith is to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so, rather than question God, Joshua obeys. We read verse 3, So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Harloth. Now, in much the same way, there comes times in our lives where God's ways just don't make sense to us. Have you ever run into this? You probably have. If you've been following the Lord for any length of time, there's been moments in your life where you're just like, Lord, what are you doing here? This makes no sense to me. I cannot wrap my head around what you are doing here. It goes against our human thinking, our human rationale. And sometimes, like Joshua, we may be in a position where we think it's time for action. It's time to charge ahead because the conditions look good to me. But then God is saying, hold on a second. We're not fighting this battle your way, but my way. So even when it doesn't make sense to you, trust my way and obey. There's a true story of a young medical student in Great Britain named Helen Rosevear. Some of you may have heard of Helen Rosevier. She sensed a call from God to go to Africa at a young age. Eventually, after much training in the medical field, she became a full-fledged doctor, and she eventually went to the Congo as a medical missionary in 1953. There, she established a hospital and was doing vital, life-saving work among the Congolese people. Things were moving ahead as she had imagined. Everything was successful. People were coming to the Lord. One of the things that she had in her hospital was a a strong emphasis on presenting the gospel to every single person who would come through the doors of that hospital. And many were coming to the Lord. Many lives were being saved. But something happened. In 1964, Civil War broke out. She was strongly advised in advance to get out while she still could. But she refused to leave her patients. She was then told to stay would be completely useless. She would be unprotected, terrible things would be done to her, and that she and her patients would likely still die, anyways. It was senseless to stay. But still, she stayed, believing it was what God wanted her to do. It wasn't long until, as the people had warned her, the rebels broke through. Her hospital was completely unprotected and captured. She too was captured and held captive for five months, during which terrible and unspeakable things were done to her repeatedly by the rebel soldiers. She later recounted, On that dreadful night, beaten and bruised, terrified and tormented, unutterably alone, I had felt at last that God had failed me. Surely he could have stepped in earlier. Surely things need not have gone that far. I had reached what seemed to be the ultimate depth of despairing nothingness. And yet in this darkness, in that moment of despairing nothingness, she then sensed the Lord's presence. And Helen later said, through that brutal, heartbreaking experience, God met with me. With outstretched arms of love, he met with me. It was such an unbelievable experience. He was so utterly there, so totally understanding. His comfort was so complete, and suddenly I knew. I really knew that his love was unutterably sufficient. He did love me. He did understand. He didn't take away pain or cruelty or humiliation. No, it was all still there. But now it was altogether different. It was with him, for him, in him. He was actually offering me the privilege of sharing in some little way at the edge of the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Finally, Helen was freed and went back to England, where she spent the next year recovering from her horrific ordeal. Most assumed her missionary career was over. But then, after recovering, Helen said, I'm going back. Some tried to talk some sense into her, but she was resolute that even though it made no sense to them, she knew it was where God wanted her to be. Soon she returned to the Congo, where she reestablished a new hospital, trained more doctors and nurses, which not only resulted in countless lives saved, but literally thousands upon thousands of people coming to know Christ, all because Helen Roosevelt was willing to do things God's way Rather than her own. Even when things didn't make sense humanly, she trusted God and God met with her and provided for her in a very profound and personal way. I believe that's what Joshua did in this moment as well. Joshua had met with the Lord in a profound and personal way so that when God presented him with a scenario that to his mind did not make sense, he did not question because he knew what God had said to him, the call to be strong and courageous, obey what I've called you to do, and I will be with you. And Joshua believed God's promise. And so when he came up against the impossible, when he came up against a way that just made no sense, humanly thinking, he stepped forward in faith. Joshua did that. He fought the battle the Lord's way. And I believe we must learn to do this as well. We must learn to trust the Lord's way to deal with the battles before us, even when it makes no sense to us. Know that his way is the best way. Finally, the third thing I'd like to draw to your attention from this text this morning is this. We must allow the Lord to transform our hearts. You see, the physical act of circumcision was actually a matter of the heart. For Israel, it was the outward sign of God's covenant with Abraham to make his descendants into a great nation who would in turn bless all nations of the earth. All Israel needed to do was to keep their side of the covenant, which was to worship and serve the God of heaven, Yahweh, alone. That was it. They only had to do one thing, serve and worship him alone, and God would do everything else in blessing them with a great and mighty nation who would change the world. And so the outward act of circumcision was the sign that every generation would take to renew that commitment to the covenant that God had made with Abraham. But it was more than just an outward act, it was to symbolize the faith of the heart. For remember, it was by faith Abraham pleased the Lord. It wasn't that, you know, of course the faith was expressed in the actions, but it always comes back to faith. And so even the external sign of circumcision was still a matter of the heart. In Joshua chapter 5 verses 4 to 7, we're explained the reason why that during their years of wilderness wandering Israel had not practiced circumcision. And so before taking the promised land, they needed to recommit themselves to God's covenant. Verse 8 then tells us, after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Now, of course, under the new covenant of God's grace, through Jesus Christ, physical circumcision is no longer required. But the inner circumcision of the heart is. In fact, that's what it was always about. The Apostle Paul explains this in Romans chapter 2 verses 28 to 29. He writes, "'For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents,' or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. So you see, God didn't just want Israel's outer acts of obedience to the law. He didn't just want them going through the rituals. He desired their true worship and love from the heart. Hearts that were right with him. Hearts that were for him. Because remember, the law could never save anyone, let alone change a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Only the Spirit of God can do that. You see, God didn't want Israel to go ahead with conquering Jericho and Canaan and establishing the new nation with hearts of stone. He didn't want them proceeding in the flesh, as it were in a way that would say, it was us, it was we who did this. No, God desired Israel to be much more than a physical nation of warriors. He desired that they be a spiritual nation of priests, a nation who would bless all nations of the earth. For Israel, that process required pain and making themselves vulnerable before their enemies, trusting wholly in God to protect them while they recovered. Humanly speaking, again, it made no sense to be in a position where if Jericho broke out against them and attacked, physically speaking, they were not in any condition to fight until they were healed. It required an act of complete trust in God to be their protector during this time. Spiritually, it's the same for us. Many times, God allows us to experience pain and vulnerability in order to work on our hearts to transform us more into the image of Christ and prepare us for what is yet ahead. As Helen Rosevier said later in her life, God never uses a person greatly until he has wounded him deeply. The privilege he offers you is greater than the price you have to pay. The privilege is greater than the price. For Israel, the temporary pain of circumcision was far surpassed by the privilege Of being God's chosen people and a holy nation set apart for Him. So, too, for us, the temporary pain of the Spirit's heart work and that transformation within us, even though often we chafe against it, and it's painful when He cuts out things that do not belong, attitudes that are not right, ways that He says are not the way of Christ. And this work can be difficult, it can be painful. But it is far surpassed by the privilege of being transformed into the likeness of Christ and used for his glory. As 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And so today, my friends... Our lives, our hearts, our souls, our futures, all of it. All of it is in God's hands. And you know what? That's a very good thing. Because what better hands could we possibly be in? So entrust your heart fully into God's hands and let him transform you into the image of Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. And remember... To realize this victory requires that we cut off all avenues of retreat, to burn the ships, to let the river roll in behind us, to go all in with Jesus. And it requires that we trust God enough to fight battles His way, not our own way. And finally, no matter the pain, we must trust the Holy Spirit with our hearts. Trust Him to remove what doesn't belong, and then transform it into the very heart of Christ, one that beats solely for him, in him, and by him. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that by it you reveal your will for our lives. That just as you desired Joshua and Israel to move ahead in faith, to then trust that in cutting off all avenue of escape, all avenue of retreat, you would provide the way forward. And then in doing so, even when it looked like now's the time for battle, you had other instructions for them, ones that didn't make sense, and yet again we see how through simple trust and faith, they obeyed, you provided, and we see that you showed them again the way forward to victory that could only be done your way. In that process, Lord, you were doing something. You were shaping a nation from one that relied on their own flesh and strength to one that realized their utter dependence upon you. That there's no victory that's not your victory. And so, Father, I pray that we too would see our position. That on our own, we are helpless. There is no victory fought in our own skill, strength, cunning, or wisdom. All victories are your victories. And we must fight them your way and by your power. And so, Lord, as we move forward, I pray that each one of us would embrace the example of Joshua. Embrace the example of Helen Roosevelt, who when even things didn't make sense, we couldn't understand what you're doing, that by faith we would trust you, we would follow the directions that you would prompt us to take through the word and through the Spirit's direction. And I pray, Lord, that you would grant us the ability to, to see the privilege that even comes in the path of suffering that even there there is victory for we are able to have the privilege of identifying in some small way with the sufferings of Christ who made all of this victory possible through the cross through whom we are more than conquerors thank you for this great promise that we have may we be encouraged to continue to move forward with you going all in leaving no avenue of escape for it is your way or no way And we follow you, Lord. In your name, amen.